Hello, I'm Peter Marara. And I'm Aiden Babbitt. And welcome to Off-Broadway, a podcast where two theater students who think they know more about theater than they actually do talk about theater. How are you doing, Aiden? I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm all right. I'm all right. I'm doing a little summer course, you know, trying to get some credits out of the oh, way. Oh, really? So keeping my time occupied, yeah. Learning about astronomy. Pretty interesting stuff. Cool, cool. Any any movies you watched recently? Um, I think I talked about how I watched Jojo Rabbit recently, which was really good. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, wait. What did I just watch? I just watched something. Oh, Shutter Island. Uh, with Leonardo DiCaprio and Mark Ruffalo. Wild movie. So That's... good. So good. Yeah. Highly recommend it. The ending's pretty insane. Fantastic acting. Yeah. Uh, I what, My favorite movie just dropped on Netflix today. Uncut Gems with uh, Adam Sandler. It's a good movie. Oh, I still haven't seen that. I heard that was yeah. so good. Yeah, it's really just anxiety-inducing. It's from... Uh, these directors, they're called the Safi Brothers. They always work with A24, like one of the best production studios for like independent films, so to say. And their movies are just so anxiety-inducing and stuff. It's it's crazy to watch. Really. I'll have to give it a watch. See, so yeah, I'm definitely going to watch that today. But uh, I'm doing all right, you know. Quarantine in my area is starting to die down, which is good. Positive. Stuff. Yeah, I like... You know, it's interesting. I'm still very hesitant about the whole, like, opening back up of states because I really, really want to avoid, like, a second wave of coronavirus. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's also just frustrating when I, like, I go out in public, I always have my mask, and then they're just, like, a bunch of people just not wearing masks, not, like, social yeah, distancing, and it's like, you awful. you are the problem. Yeah. I think we're going to transition into news, and two shows have just been announced which is insane, really, that are transferring to Broadway. There's been talk of these, and they all have, they each have their cult followings. The first being Smash, the NBC show. I never watched Smash, but I do know that there is a sort of Glee-esque following of just super fans. I don't, have you ever seen it? Have you ever watched it? I've I've watched bits and pieces, and like it, it seems really fun. I want to watch the whole thing, but I don't like know where I can like find the whole thing. I don't think it's on any streaming services, which is a shame. But yeah, I feel like it's, I feel like it's like obligatory for theater students to watch it. Like you kind of have to, in a sense. It's kind of the way with like Glee, in a sense too. You, the... Yeah, I did. I did watch. I did watch my fair share of Glee. I used to watch oh, a no. ton of Glee. Yeah, man. I just. Uh... I had watched it in the past, but I just revisited it. I don't know why. Uh, but, and I just realized how bad it was. Just, like, truly awful it was. But, yeah. It is It is kind of some... It's like a guilty pleasure show. There are definitely some yeah. episodes that are, like, good and memorable, but a lot of it is just trash. Yeah, but I'm just thinking, like... I know Smash had Christian Borle, uh, Catherine McPhee, Megan Hilty, like... What if they bring all of them back? That'd be insane. That would be Jeremy awesome. Jordan, Jeremy Jordan, Brian Darcy James, Andy Mantis, Leslie Odom Jr. Just like insane Krista Rodriguez. Insane names were in the show. So that'd be crazy. Yeah, no, it was like a huge... yeah. If they brought at least some of the names back, I think that'd be really cool. The second big show is Hercules. 
which uh, premiered uh, in the fall in at in Central Park as part of the public theater, uh, one of the best. Just I don't want to say off. I mean, their stuff is off Broadway, but they're they're producing House. They produce all their work. Their stuff is really great. That's where Hamilton started. So they put on a production of Hercules starring Jelani Aladdin from Frozen. He played Kristoff in the original cast, and I heard that was really great. Yeah, and I'm excited. Yeah, I only I only heard good things about um, Hercules at the public, so I'm really excited that it's coming to Broadway. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and that's one of the that's one of the Disney properties really that hasn't been adapted for the stage. Like, I can think of other ones, but like Mulan, Pocahontas, Moana, but Moana's just very new. But I mean, it's interesting. I think they want Disney wants to get all of their properties on stage in a sense, which would be really, really cool. Yeah, they've got the money to do it, so why not? Yeah, absolutely. But I'm interested to see what they do with Hercules because I know at the public they took like a big part of the public theater's mission is to integrate the public into their into their shows and stuff. So I think a hundred of the cast members were just were just new New Yorkers who just auditioned and were just in the ensemble. And you can't do that on Broadway just because of equity rules and stuff. So I'm just interested. I'm just interested to see how they do that. But yeah, I think they're definitely gonna like downsize it for sure because i definitely oh, saw yeah, yeah. videos and like photos of like where there are like a hundred people on stage and it looks like they're just all like having a good time together which is really sweet but obviously you're going to change that when you move into like mm-hmm. whatever theater they're moving into yeah i'm just excited to see what songs they added and stuff just because hercules really doesn't have that many songs the film it really doesn't it's like what is this go the go the distance uh zero to hero and what's the female song? Shit. Um, don't say I'm in love. Don't say I'm in love. No way. Yeah. And it's like the songs it does have are so good though. Oh yeah, yeah. That's another one of Alan Megan's works. I mean, all this stuff is pretty great. Pretty yeah. recognizable. Okay, so and actually our guest that we're having on the pod this week saw that production of Hercules and he loved it. And so our guest this week is Harrison Krebs. Harrison is a recent graduate of Ithaca College in the same major that I am, theater arts management. And he's starting starting as a ticket and sales analyst at Sereno Coin, which is a Broadway advertising agency, in whenever Broadway opens up, which is unfortunate. And imagine that. Imagine just not having... because of COVID and because you are in the theater. I mean, so many people are having it, but just starting a job, I think is a whole nother beast. Like just waiting to do that. Couldn't you agree? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, good for him, like landing a job. That's awesome. Um, And I, I feel like I'm, I'm sorry that it's, it has to be like put on this like hiatus, but hopefully he can start soon. Yeah, so we had a great conversation, uh, and we're talking about the topic of failed musicals, just because me and Aiden, like, we do have an extensive theater uh, knowledge of shows, but Harrison's just a whole other level, and you'll see that in the interview. Yeah, we sort of just let him go off on a lot of, like, 
in-depth talk about failed musicals and it's really really interesting because failed musicals are personally something i'm not like i don't know a ton about mm-hmm. so it was really interesting for me to sort of yeah. just like sit back and listen yeah definitely and i mean he would go to he would leave school and go to broadway shows every weekend which is four hours away which is pretty ridiculous so he sees his fair share of shows and i mean i think it really showed in the interview so without further ado here's harrison krebs hey harrison how you doing good how are you you know just trying to keep sane best i can yeah exactly this this corona case is not really doing it for me yeah you know taking a lot of naps trying to read not fully lose my mind best i can but you know same as everyone Uh, yeah so we brought you on the pod today to talk about failed musicals and you know much more about musicals than Aiden and I, and I know that for a fact. So let's just hop in here. Uh, what's your first failed musical that you have for us? Um, yeah, so I was looking over my list of failed musicals, and there's there's a lot. I, I sort of think about it as as what you consider a flop, like something that played less than like 100 performances out of sort of its original run. Um some of the more recent ones that I can think of are like Amelie or American Psycho, which both did not do well at all. Uh, getting the band back together, which was like a really, really shitty uh, movie adaptation that ran for like 10 performances. It's not as common as it was. Um, I would say there's, there's, there's like a handful of like true really shitty flops that you can that you can think of in like the past 10 or 20 years but it was definitely a lot more popular um when there were a lot less shows running there's just a lot more shows now so people are spending a lot more money on it so shows tend to be at least a tad more successful but like flops can it, it can be you know anything from really famous composers like Stephen Sondheim has flops like Merrily We Roll Along was not yeah I was I was gonna bring I was gonna bring that up later in the pod Mm -hmm. there's have you watched that Netflix documentary about the production no I have not um I I I I, I'm trying to think there's a few out of all the books I don't think I've read any books or seen any sort of um documentaries about failed musicals i've only sort of read them about successful ones but um jason robert brown's uh his first musical parade which also i think it won two tonys but it did it ran like less than 100 performances um and a lot of people love parade and it's like it's 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 a lot of it has less to do with the show itself and more about when it, it has to do with a million different things including like when it goes up what's the culture at the time what's the climate what do people actually want um because like you can have a really good show and it just doesn't work for whatever reason you know within that time frame like i think a lot of the shows that we'll probably talk about have issues one way or the other but there's also a lot of them that i you know personally really like and that's that is a sort of trend that i think people see um that there are some sort of like cult like some of the movies like you have cult hits that like might not be super popular at the time but 10 20 30 years down the line people rediscover them and they're like oh no this is really good i really like that um but yeah personally i would say the biggest flop that resonates with me is um 
a musical called Chess, which I really, really love. Yes. And it has this, it has <laughs> this sort of like that's that's another chess is like a cult classic. It has that sort of like outsized fan base that's grown, I think, within the past number of years because of the Josh Groban did a concert performance that's really famous of it. Um, but I'm I, I personally just like I love it so much because it hits so many of my musical theater like checks for me. Like it was written by the two ABBA guys. Like I'm a huge ABBA fan. Like I love yeah, that. Exactly. I love that music. I love the disco <laughs> style. And it it, it it and it just has so many like beautiful ballads because the lyrics are by Tim Rice. So it has like this really beautiful music, but then also these like incredible ballads um, r- written by Tim Rice that are that are just absolutely stunning. And it it did. Uh, I think it did better in London than it did in New York because New York ran like, again, like less than hard performances. And it's sort of this famous flop because they could never really get the story right. The music was, I think is really solid. And I think still has been really solid. I saw a remount of it, a concert remount in uh, DC, like Christ, like three years ago or something. Um, and it was, it was, it was good, but it was still a little rough just because like, it's the story is really weird. It's about these two chess players, one from the Soviet Union, one from the US. And it's like, it's really, it was really much a musical of the 80s. And it just didn't work. And it didn't work. And it's like, it's so hard to re, re can sort of reconfigure it. But it's so upsetting, because it's like, this music is beautiful, and like, deserves to be heard. But mm. yeah, that personally, I think is like my biggest flop that like, oh, no, I think this is actually like really good. But um, there's plenty. What do you guys think? Do you have any particular ones that you hold close to your heart? So, yeah, a little bit. Like, I 100% agree with, like, your take on chess. I think concert is the best way to experience chess because the music is wonderful. Um, Yeah. For me, um, you mentioned it earlier. I actually really like Amelie. I started listening Mm -hmm. – very recently to to Amelie because one of um one of the other freshman MTs is really really into Amelie both the movie and the musical uh-huh. and Philippa Sue is just a great act actress and like oh, a fantastic singer um and and I definitely I I haven't watched the movie but I definitely want to because mm-hmm. I also think that is a movie that has a very strong following. Sometimes we make musicals off movies that are very successful and they just aren't fortuitous really. Just maybe that's just because it wasn't really meant for the stage or there's just so many things that go into it. And I mean, yeah. we've mentioned this in past episodes, but making a musical is just so difficult on on all facets, every every oh, yeah. creative and, and aspect. And I think that I think something that people don't really realize too is just how long the lead time is for a lot of the shows is that it takes like four or five, you know, 10 years to like, not just write it, but then you have to get it mounted and you have to have it in regional theaters and you have to have it presented places so people can see it. And that's not always the case, but it's more the case than it's not that like something like Hades town, it took them like 10 plus years to like actually get it, you know, written and, you know, edited. And then they did it like three different theaters before they actually got it to like London and then to Broadway. And it took a really, really long time for it to get there. And like, things can change really quickly, you know, in that time in the culture and things like that. And I think that was something that like you saw with Tootsie where um, it was, they started working on it, like, I think like 2012, 2013. And they eventually took it to Chicago for a pre-Broadway tryout. And then right as it was sort of about to come to Broadway and sort of working on it, a lot happened in the culture in terms of like, 
uh, B2 and just sort of talking about uh, gender and sex identity on stage too, stuff that has been happening for a really long time, but like became, I think, like a cultural force in a really, really new way. And people started talking about it, I think, more publicly in a really different way. And, and there was a lot of backlash to Tootsie because of it. And it really just wasn't the right musical for the time but they had been working on it for so long that it, that they couldn't really change like the fundamental premise of what the show was. And then it, 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 it ended up not really doing well for a lot of reasons, but I also think it's like the type of thing where it, it was like, like no one really knew the movie. Like it was not a super popular movie. So people, you know, d- didn't really latch onto it in the same way that they would, I think like a more well-known property like SpongeBob or um, even like Mrs. Doubtfire, which I think a lot of people just know, that movie more than something like Tootsie or like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory or something like that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We were talking about this, Harrison. I texted you once I realized the whole creative concept of the show, but and you brought it up earlier, but American Psycho. I think that's just a very interesting idea for a musical. And mm-hmm. seeing the creative, con- I can see why it did, why it was a failed musical, so to, so to mm-hmm. say. And it's a shame because it looked really great. I don't, I don't, did you see that or? No, so it's it's interesting actually. American Psycho um, was started at one of my favorite theaters in the world in London. Uh, it's called the Almedia. It's a really, really incredible off quote off West End space. They don't really call it that, but that's like a good way to think about it. Um, it's like a probably like 100, 150, maybe hundred seat house, really small. Um, but they do crazy shit and like like american psycho was was one of the was um i think one of the bigger ones they've had like one or two other transfers um uh i I forget off the top of my head but um they are a really successful pipeline for uh off west end sort of like newer writers going onto the west end being picked up by big commercial producers um not so much transfers to broadway but really like that west end pipeline and they do just like really crazy stuff because the artistic team is awesome it's led by uh, Rupert Gold uh, Rupert Gould who directed that was his first production at the Almedia was um, American Psycho and it sort of turned into this much bigger thing oh 1984 1984 started there uh, but like a long time ago like 2013 and then it went to and then went to the West End and then it came to Broadway like five years later um so that's like one another one of the really big shows that they did and that was written by um oh this other guy who I really like. Um, his name is uh, Robert Ike. Uh, I-C-K-E. He's incredible. He just left the Almedia, but he's a writer-director. He's a young guy. And he just has a, he has a lot of really interesting philosophies about theater and just thinking about it. And he's written a ton of these really interesting adaptations of, um, I think he wrote a Hamlet adaptation. He wrote a Mary Stewart adaptation where the person who plays Mary Stewart changes every night. They like flip a coin. It's, it's really weird. And it's yeah, really cool. Yeah. That's what they did. with no, uh, Frankenstein. No, I was just going to say with the changing mm-hmm. roles thing, the Frankenstein production on the West end with mm-hmm. Benedict Cumberbatch and Johnny Lee Miller. I just think that's really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they, they just, they, they've done like a lot of these really, really, really cool things. I saw a production of dance nation there, which is the Claire Barron play. Um, when I was in London and I saw one or two other things are really good. They're producing, um, well, they, they were, I don't remember what's going to happen with it. It's sort of in limbo um, producing. I think they're producing uh, 
uh, Daddy by Jeremy O'Harris or one of his one of his plays. I I, forget, I don't remember if it's Daddy off the top of my head, but they're they're re- the, re- the 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 crux of it is they're really big on producing sort of up and coming or just just doing stuff that is very different from the norm, both uh, from like a playwriting perspective and sort of who they curate, but also just uh, scenically and tech and like technology wise, they're just they're a really really cool theater that like when I saw their work I, I really latched onto and I was like oh this is like a really cool place to develop like aesthetics and stuff um but that whole backstory basically saying it's it, 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 it's it's so funny sort of seeing American Psycho and having it sort of turn into this big thing because I think it's another really good example of something I said earlier where this I, I forget when it was on the West End I think it was probably like 2015 or something because I think it was on Broadway in 2016 um Right around, like I said, when a lot of these sort of cultural things were changing about Me Too and sort of, uh, you know, uh, sexual harassment in the workplace and all these different things that are like huge prominent themes in American Psycho. You know, it's it's based around this guy who's this big, you know, manly guy who, you know, just does all of these not only like things that are like sexual harassment, but just like it's just it was just a very different in the eighties, it was just done, talked about very differently and all these things. It was just a def- different cultural sort of moment around uh, sex in the workplace and just uh, sexual violence and all these things in general. So it's really hard to adapt a movie from like that time period when you could be a lot more cavalier about these things and not, and just talk about them very differently than to bring it to a really big mass market thing and think it's going to work. So I think that was one of their big downfalls was they were working on it and they were developing it as the culture was changing and they couldn't really change it so much that it was like different than the source material. And and, and I think there were some few different technical aspects and I think it just it just wasn't the right musical for the right time. But I don't know if either of you have listened to the soundtrack album. The soundtrack's great. I've, the soundtrack's really fun. Yeah, I have listened to it. That's that's it's Matt Smith, right? Is um mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's it's yeah. the London soundtrack because they never recorded the um New York one, because I forget who who they did, but it, it was originally Matt Smith. They actually, it, the Almania just released a podcast episode where they're interviewing Matt Smith about it. It's, it's great. It's, it's really interesting. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Yeah, that's cool. Listen. But yeah, no, I, I had, um, I had listened to that soundtrack and you're right. Like I definitely, I definitely enjoyed it, especially that opening number, the morning routine, mm-hmm. I think is really cool. And I really like the way they do that. It's like, there's like one big musical ad, mm-hmm. but, but you're right. I, I haven't seen the movie American Psycho in a very long time, but I know it does deal with like dark themes such as like, you know, harassment in the workplace and also like homophobia. Um, mm-hmm. Because like the main character is like a psycho killer and this very twisted, dark human being. Um, and so, yeah, I think there's definitely a fine line you have to walk if you want to portray that in modern media. Yeah, and it's 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 hard just because it's like, it, it, like I said, just talking about these lead times, it's it's how can you change it so much that it's you know still representing what that original movie is, but then also you know you have to bring in a lot of new people to the property they might not even know what it is and it's just it was just it was just a really muddy time and unfortunately it just wasn't the right time for the show which sucks but it's like that's just kind of that's the gamble you sort of play when you're developing a show and like sometimes it's 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 truly just comes down to it wasn't the right time to do it which is like so unsatisfying and like not a really good um sort of answer but i i think it's it's the best way to think about it in terms of like 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 what why why didn't it work well there's like a multitude of factors but it's just 
you know, it just, it, it just didn't work. Yeah. So uh, off that, like any, any more you can think of off the top of your head, just because, just because there are a lot of failed musicals out there and a lot of them, that's just the harsh reality of it. They do fail. And I mean, obviously we do have these successful ones that are household names, but I mean, stuff in like the past 10 years that I can think of off the top of my head, like Tuck Everlasting, if you, you've heard of that correct that show oh yeah yeah uh, yeah i'm not super familiar like, with it but yeah I, I i do know it and it's just interesting really just the whole how they do fail and it's really a shame because you think going into it they would address their clientele and stuff and it's it's just really a shame i think just the, the amount yeah. of work that goes into it and the process and how long it takes it's looking at it i think from a ten thousand foot view I think it's a lot easier to um, sort of come to that conclusion too. But I think something we need to keep in mind too is how long these tend to take to be developed and how attached I think people can get to the work. And I think that that's a, that's to the detriment a lot of the times of, of the artists and of um, people involved with the production because you can get so attached to something and you can get so attached to um, – a you know piece of work or a piece of media that you, uh, you when you develop that attachment to it you can't see its faults as clearly when you're working on something so intensely for like seven years or five years or even a year it's really hard to see the issues and you have to bring in outside people and you have to bring in outside people that you trust because you don't want you know, shitty opinions about, you know, your piece and about, you know, your, your art or whatever it is. Cause at the end of the day, it's, it's your name on the line. Um, and I, I, I think it's, uh, it's, it's, it's one of those things where I have been wrong plenty of the times, you know, about what I thought maybe something would be successful because a lot of the times people attribute their own taste and their own sort of, t uh, um, like aesthetics to the broader world and saying, well, I really hate, you know, X show that I just saw. So I think it's going to fail when, you know, maybe it could be doing really well. And, you know, sometimes that it, sometimes your opinion is right. And you have to go with your gut. But I, I think, I think as we're sort of judging these things, and I think a lot of times the producers, they just don't take that step back and they don't um, think about uh, think about the broader audience and they, and they think more maybe about, you know, what they want to see in it, which is important. And I think, but, but I, th but I think a lot of people overjudge, um, their own taste a lot of the times and what, and what they think is good that other people might not think is good. And, you know, that, that's, that's just something that I think people have to weigh a lot. I was just sort of, sort of agreeing with the fact that like musicals are such like passion projects. You can just, dive into them like even like from an actor's point of view i might only work with a show for like x amount of months um and i can already like feel a connection with it and and sort of form a bond with that so like from a creative standpoint like making that from the ground up has got to be like a huge labor of love so taking that step back is probably really hard and i think maybe one of the uh, a flopped show that sort of shows that is um spider-man turn off the dark and like julia yeah. tamor and that whole like just like horror story of a production process yeah yeah um, this is spider-man turn off the dark Harrison, can i just can i just say something yeah. before you go off yeah all right oh, yeah. no uh so harrison 
came into one of my classes uh, as a sort of TA in a sense, and he he tasked us with delving into the whole production of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. So this man knows so much about it. I mean, I've read the book as well. Uh, what's it called? Shoot. Uh, uh, Tales for, oh my God, I don't even know if it up yet. And I have it with me, let me Google it. Um, but yeah, it's written by the writer of the musical Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark and it just yeah. delves into every every unanswered question that audiences had going into that production and just after viewing it and such. Yeah, so the book is called Song of Spider-Man, the inside story of the most controversial musical in Broadway history. And it's written by, his name is Glenn Berger. He was- Glenn Berger. He had a lot of titles. He was essentially the assistant director, but also the co-book writer, and then became like the full book writer. It's, he, he, the point is, he was involved in this process throughout the, like, like the whole thing. Like he, he is, he's the most close sort of to like the bare metal of this project, you know, apart from Julie Taymor and, you know, um, uh, Bono and the edge, like he is the core sort of part of it. And it's a fascinating book. I think everyone should read it. It's, it's, it's not well written, but it's, it should be like 200 pages shorter than it is, but it's, it's just so interesting and you can just sort of go through it and it just really shows you detail by detail why it failed and why it didn't do well and i personally like again this is another musical where it's like i hold a very strong personal opinion i think is a incredible musical and i think the music is awesome and i think it's 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 such a weird fun show and like it's it's just it's it's just incalculable to think like it's so many weird things happen in this show for it to happen the way it happened. And it's, it's, it's fascinating. Like it started out basically as this idea that's, that this, that this one producer lawyer guy had, and he pitched it to Marvel and they sort of went back and forth and they finally got the rights for it, like three years into it after going back and forth in like the early two thousands. And the guy like has a heart attack and he dies like right as this process was starting. And then his business partner who has no idea what he's doing basically comes in and he's now in charge. The guy who had never, he, the guy had never produced a show before. He has no idea what he's doing, and he basically gets handed this like hundred million dollar contract to produce what is going to be like, even at the time they 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 considered it to be like the largest musical ever sort of produced. And like, there's so many things too that got like so twisted in the media sort of about the show that that are fascinating from like a business perspective, where like. I, I, a lot of people attribute it to costing like a hundred million dollars and that it was like this hundred million dollar show. That's a number that a lot of people think about. Um, when in actuality, the actual show itself costs somewhere around $30 million. Like the actual, you know, the labor, the equipment, everything, which is a lot of money. Like, yeah. like it was probably like with inflation, like 35 million or something, but it's like most big budget shows are like 20 to 25. Like it's, it's, it's beefy, but it's not a hundred million dollars, which is, astronomical the reason why it ended up costing 100 million dollars or roughly close to that is because the tech process took so long because they were doing so many insane things on this show that they had to basically take out a loan which you never do when you're producing a show you never take out a loan you always get investors to put money into it so you can pay them back at a later date because if you take out a loan you have to pay back that loan 
almost essentially immediately. But if you don't have any money coming in because you're still in the tech process, you can't pay back the loan. So they basically just kept getting these loans and piling up money on top of money. And it just, they dug themselves in this huge money pit. And it's, it's just, no one does that. It's never been done that way before in terms of like how you actually do a musical. And um, it's just fascinating. Like they have, like there's so many facts about it. Like at, at uh, during the fly scenes where the, and I saw it too, it was, it was incredible. Um, when they they had certain I don't know if you either of you've seen the videos of them basically like flying across the stage and like flying in the theater themselves oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. like mm-hmm. incredible yeah. like acrobatic moments that are like even today were are like all of that shit was custom like all the stuff they 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 made for that was like custom suits that cost like thirty thousand dollars or something like like insane insane shit that was all like per spec custom made for that stuff and during those scenes they had two stage managers calling like four on deck while two stage managers calling calling those scenes at the same time which is like insane and like that's that's it's not an industry practice it's never done and like so, so much evolved throughout it where it just was this cascading um sort of failure one after another because julie Taymor got so attached to this project, Julie Tamer is a fascinating individual, but Julie Tamer got so attached to this project in a way that she is truly, I think, the perfect definition of an artist in the way that she works relentlessly and produces art that is, I think, truly incredible. But like, she didn't have someone to actually like rein her in. Um, where on Lion King, uh, you have you know, the Disney company basically giving her deadlines and reining her in and making sure stuff gets done on time. While with this show, she basically had free reign to do whatever she wants. And she didn't have someone to basically say, okay, well, we need to be done with teching by this date because we have to open. Or the script needs to be like this because, you know, this is like, this is gobbledygook. Like, this isn't making sense. Like, there's so much in here that is just, you know, random and garbage. And they basically ended up um, firing her. And they, the relationship was like really sort of heavy and they, and Julie Tamor then sued the producers because they, they, they essentially um, uh, stole her IP, which was the script itself. And they lifted, they made a lot of edits to the script, but the quote unquote new version of the show that opened like a, a few months after the show had actually opened, cause they closed it, revamped it. Um, and redid it again. A lot of the stuff in there, like stole uh, scripts and uh, or stole lines from the from the first version of the show. And it was just it, it, there's so many. Cra- um, another crazy weird thing that happened during it was when they were doing. So, so the show was actually opening and running, and it was you know it was a version 1.0. When they were working on 2.0, the actors had to have a full day of rehearsals. Uh, for the new quote unquote new version of the show in studios. And then after the rehearsals, they would go to the, they would go to the theater to perform version 1.0 because they still had to have the show happen. So they were doing, so the actors had like, and the stage managers had like 20 hour days, like, like just insane schedules, like, like for months and months until they could actually get it under control and re put it back up. And it's, it's, it's a fascinating book. And there's so much in there that you can like, just delve into and and figure out sort of why I thought, but that's another one that is just really really interesting. Um, and there's so much more there than what 
what what appears on the surface. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's interesting too because Marvel is this huge company, kind of like a monopoly in a sense with the whole superhero uh, industry as a whole. And it's crazy that you would think of Spider-Man of all heroes kind of just kind of flying under the radar with like, I mean, you could go Superman, you could go uh, Batman and stuff, but I just think it's really well, interesting. Marvel, Marvel can't go Superman or Batman. Well, yeah, not Marvel, not Marvel, but just, I just mean, there hadn't been a superhero uh, musical or even play in a sense within. And I just think it's interesting that they chose Spider-Man because it is just a kid, you know? Well, yeah, and I think a, a big reason why that happened was um, so much of the initial uh, sort of like legal part of it was like what happened um, in really early days Marvel, like early 2000s, before Disney had bought anything. Um, so it was like a much different company at the time. And it, uh, it, it, was, it, was, it was just the thing of like, it, it, was, it was still a very big successful brand, but it wasn't this like monolith that was sort of controlled by Disney. And now I think you're the reason why you haven't seen any, um, you know, uh, comic book musicals or anything of the site, like a Superman musical or, um, you know, with DC or just any of those other ones is because a lot of those brands now are controlled by like huge, crazy big um, corporations that do not want to deal with something like a Spider-Man happening. I think a lot of people are afraid of, um, doing something that big and ostentatious that you would need to do if you're going to do a Superman musical, or if you're going to do a, um, you know, whatever, if you're going to do, you know, any of the, any of the other countless ones. And I think it's, it's the type of thing where they really sort of fucked up their only chance to do it. And I don't know if it would ever be a thing again. I would love to see um, them try to do a remount of it and try to do it right. Uh, I don't know if that would ever happen in actuality. Bring, bring but, back a forty-year-old Reeve Carney. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, or just like just do it right this time. Like do yeah, it, yeah. like do it, do it financially sound. And 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 you know, br- br- you know, I don't know, I don't know how how you would do it. I don't know, but I just I, I just think there's something really there. And and that was another thing I was thinking about is do either of you have a musical that did flop that you wish could come back? in a better form or you think d- d- maybe deserves to come back for whatever reason. The one that comes to mind for me is uh bat boy. Mm-hmm. I, I like, I think I've said this before on the podcast, but I really enjoy um, bat boy, the musical. Um, I definitely think it needs to be, it definitely needs like an overhaul um, just mm-hmm. generally. Uh, but I really enjoy the music and it, sort of came at a poor time it i forget when it premiered but it was running um during september of 2001 and so when 9-11 happened people didn't want to go back into the city and it like it like obviously they didn't want to it was a terrifying time and so that sort of like it closed and i think it sort of could be redone and if it could come back i I would like that. Like, I think it'd be interesting because it was such a it was such a weird and and funky show with some really interesting music. Carrie Butler was in it. Um, I actually met the composer uh, Lawrence O'Keefe, who also did Legally Blonde and Heather's. Um, 
and I sort of like all of his music. Like Legally Blonde is like one of my guilty pleasures. I think the music to Heather's is really, really fantastic. And I I think um Batboy deserves a second chance. Yeah, as as for me, not really most of the shows I like are ones that are successful just because, you know, I grew up on the soundtracks and stuff, like Wicked and stuff, but like you were saying, Spider-Man, like, I just wish I could have seen that because my mom and my brother did see it and they liked it a lot, actually. And they're not avid musical goers. And I just think it's interesting, the whole Spider- Spider-Man as a whole. But yeah, not really. I mean, I love Parade. I love Parade. I'm a huge Parade fan. But besides that, not really, not really anything else that I can think of off the top of my head. One other one I can just think of is um, Carrie. I know Carrie the musical has like mm-hmm. a huge like cult following now, but I would love to see sort of. I I know there was a revival that did better, but still um, didn't. I don't think did it justice. Is is there any um, other show I guess that uh, was a flop? That do you have anything that maybe you were thinking about that you would change if you could change something, or if there was something that with something that was close to your heart, or or even maybe something you don't like, but that that you could see as a pretty obvious change that you would want to do? Yeah, no, I I remember. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was talking about um Frank Wildhorn because he's sort of written the music to like a lot of flops, like Wonderland and Dracula, and I feel like uh. I don't know, cause I like I like his music, cause I I like the music to Jekyll and Hyde. I also like the music to Bonnie and Clyde, um, but I feel like he sort of just I don't know. I feel like he a lot of his projects sort of lack like passion almost. It seems like he's just going for what he I don't know what he thinks might make money, and I feel like I would just sort of change. I would change his books a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's a whole nother that's a whole other thing. Like if a musical does have a bad book, it's just it's not gonna last. Like that's just the reality of it. And it really just comes down to the story. sure, a show may have great music, but if the story isn't there to supplement it at all, it's just it's just not gonna do well, at least in my opinion. Like with chess, like we were saying, like chess was a flop, but the music from it is incredible, but the story is just a little shaky, you know. Yeah, and and it's it's just it's it's what people want to see, and if 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 you have to convince tourists, if you have to convince you know a lot of people who aren't normal musical people, which is a majority of the people that go see musicals, you have to have something that's solid and that they can relate to, or at least just um, enjoy seeing, and it has to have a really solid book to be able to do that, which is you know which can be. Um, very hard but it's you know it's just one of those things yeah okay so i think we're gonna wrap it up here and uh harrison we have two questions that we ask guests after every show favorite musical and why okay my favorite musical i would say my favorite musical at least Right now, my favorite musical. Okay, so I'm. How many? Can I give two answers? Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, um, yeah, I would say my favorite musical right now is um, it's called A Strange Loop, which is really good. It's by. Okay, um, I did hear about that. Cool surprise winner, right? 
Yes, it just won the Pulitzer Prize for Drama. It's it's one of the only I think. It's it's like one of like five winners for Pulitzer Prize for Drama that have never been on Broadway or something. But it's it's I haven't seen it, but I'm obsessed with the soundtrack. It's really really good. It's a really interesting concept. Um, I'm not going to do it justice, so just go look it up and find it for yourself. But yeah. it's a really it's 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 going to be on Broadway sometime whenever that happens. Um, and it's <laughs> it's it's really incredible. Um, the the author the writer's name is. Uh, Name is um oh it's Michael uh, Michael, R. R. Jackson. Michael Jackson Michael Michael R Jackson uh, the R is important um that's why I, I knew it was Michael Jackson but I, <laughs> I forgot what his middle name was which is really important uh, Michael R Jackson he's really incredible he's done a handful of stuff he he's gotten a few uh sort of smaller awards but this is his first uh sort of major work it was at Playwrights Horizons um last summer and it's really incredible i i think people should check it out uh one of that that's probably a more recent obsession i think <sighs> I, I think like a long running i, I gotta say is probably i i think i think chess i think chess is just a really good way that i sort of think about musicals and really you know it's it's just a musical i really love the music, I think I'm always going to go back to that, is just really solid for me. That's something that I can always put on and listen on repeat and is, you know, really pleasant. So, yeah, so that's my longer running and my more recent obsession. And uh, our second question is, if you could adapt any movie, book, any other medium into a musical, what would it be and why? Ooh, uh, I think there's a lot of good books that could be that could be musicals. I think there aren't enough books better musicals i think we need to do less movie and tvs and more books yeah, yeah. um I'm trying to think off the top of my head um uh i don't know if this isn't necessarily work as well as a musical but maybe a play but but still something that i would love to see adapted for theater in some way um it's a book by ian McEwen. it's called atonement it's really really good um oh i've heard of that yeah it's a great it's a great book it's about it's it's a it's a love story about um to uh people from you know star-crossed lovers from different families that are challenging um very common um and it basically one of the um the one guy gets accused of gets accused of something and has to go off to war because of it world war one and the girl becomes a nurse but they are sort of you know they they keep they keep in love and you know a lot of it's it's a really good book it's i'm not doing it justice but it's much better to read it it's it's a very very good read um and i would love to see that adapted into something for the stage just because i think that's uh that's you know it's really really good um i i would love to just like i don't know what but i'd love to see maybe a um just like a really good prestige tv show adapted for the stage in some way like not the sopranos um yeah. Not, not not necessarily surprised, but something in that vein i would love to see like like recently i've just been obsessed with like really high quality prestige like hbo shows and like dramas and i just think that yeah. like yeah. i don't know I, I i think there could be something there of adapting um like really really good tv ideas to um to the stage in some way i think that could be beneficial but yeah yeah because i think that really falls under like there haven't been really any shows that i can think of that for TV first, it's usually just film to stage, which I think TV to stage. Yeah, I get. Uh huh. I, I guess SpongeBob yeah. would be one, but beyond that. Okay. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I vast majority are <laughs> are definitely. The SpongeBob is the only one that I can even think of off the top of my head that 
Yeah, I mean, there was, that, there was the Office parody, but that hasn't yeah, been but yeah, that, anything. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know that <laughs> yeah. All right, so I think that wraps up our conversation. Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Harrison. It was fantastic. Yeah, no yes, thank you, thank so, you so much. much. This was awesome. No problem. I'm glad I could help. All right. Hey, guys, Aiden here. Hope you guys enjoyed that talk with Harrison Krebs. Uh, again, just a huge thank you to him for coming on. Uh, we had a really great time, and we really hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we want to have some more guests on soon. And as, as always, if you have any like questions, comments, suggestions, you can either email us at offbroadwaypod at gmail.com or shoot us a DM at offbroadwaypod on Instagram. And we will see you guys next week. Thank you so much for listening.